Thanks for joining us on Battle Walks as we walk across the great battlefields of Europe. If you're enjoying the show, why not become a member? Every week, you'll receive exclusive bonus episodes available only to subscribers, and you can listen to all our episodes completely ad-free. Click on the link in the show notes to join us via ACAST+. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A Living History Production. I'm Matt McLaughlin. And I'm Pete Smith. We're battlefield historians who love nothing better than getting out and walking the ground where great battles in history took place. And now we'd like you to come with us. Every week, Battle Walks will take you to one of the great battlefields of Europe. As we walk the ground, we'll dig through the pages of history, we'll uncover the secrets of the battlefields, and most importantly, we'll tell the stories of the people who fought and died there. Welcome to Battle Walks. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Battle Walks. My name's Peter Smith, uh, and today I'm without Matt. Um, I'm uh, sitting in a cemetery beside a grave. It's a beautiful uh, spring morning, uh, sunny, quiet, no wind, skylarks. So uh, just the, the perfect day for a walk. So um, the grave that I'm sitting beside is that of Lieutenant Errol Martin France. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And this is a very personal story to me. Um, Errol, and we'll call him Errol for most of this uh, uh, this uh, this chat, I think, and this walk. Um, Errol uh, is uh, a portrait. There's a portrait of him in my house. It's a, a, a big portrait. And I bought it uh, many years ago from, from a little auction without any expectation of really knowing who he was. So what we're going to be doing is, is talking uh, about uh, the purchase of that portrait and the research needed to find out uh, who he was um, and sadly where he died. And this is where he's buried, in uh, the cemetery here. I'm in Caterpillar Valley Cemetery, uh, just outside of, of Longueval. So... Um, Let's start with the purchase of it. It was a tip that I picked up many years ago, I suppose, from a rather dodgy antique dealing friend of mine. Um, and that was that if you go to a, a posh ex, um, auction, an expensive auction, there are still bargains to be found. Uh, and this is what I discovered. Uh, so on the 12th of February 1998, I found myself at a, a fine art sale um, in an auctioneer's called Lawrence's in Crookern in Somerset. And about a week earlier, I'd spotted, in the viewing, I'd spotted this portrait of uh, an officer, and it was described as Lot 563, uh, an officer in army uniform, half-length, oil-on-canvas. So it's a big, big old painting. It's, it's full-size, and it's, it's half of him. It's, it's head-to-waist. 
Uh, my interest in the portrait, I suppose, was due to its the quality and its size, and I suppose the faint hope that if I did get it home, that on the back would be some way of identifying who the sitter was. From experience, and uh, I've been collecting Great War mem- memorabilia for some time, I knew that it was highly likely that this this young man would be a casualty. It's the reason for the paintings. These paintings were created uh, by their relatives to, to commemorate them. It's very rare that you would get a, a large, expensive portrait like this uh, um, without him having been a, a casualty. Um, and I described it as is uh, resolutely staring out from a gilded frame, which acknowledges the sad fact that the, that he probably died uh, during the war, and that and that's exactly what it's what it's going to be, unfortunately. Um, so I waited nervously uh, for the lot to come round that day in the sales room. I, I looked around. I couldn't see anybody that I, I recognise. It's one of those odd things about auctions. If you go to an awful lot, you start to recognise the people that are probably going to bid against you. Nobody in this uh, sale room was going to bid against me. Uh, and so my opening bid of £200 actually secured it. Cheap for a, for a full-size oil painting, uh, I felt at the time, and in very good condition. The frame's in excellent condition. So um, I turned up the next day to take it home, needed the porter to help me take it down from the wall and get it out to my car. And as we lifted it down and outside, I could see that there was a luggage label fluttering off the back. It had been fastened onto the uh, the wire hanging hanging wire on the back. And so I, I hoped, um, and quite rightly, uh, I discovered that his name was on the back. And what it actually said was Errol Ashburner, ex-Shanghai Customs, Worcestershire Regiment, killed at the Somme and that's all it said so I thought well that's fantastic that's going to help me be able to research him I'll be able to add a little plaque to the front which is what I tend to do if it's something interesting and uh, find a suitable place to hang him on the wall at home but it's the start of a 25 year mystery which really is only fully resolved in the last week. As I started researching uh, for this podcast, then I discovered a little bit more information, which will become apparent as we as we talk. Um, so, the first thing to do was, uh, who was Errol Ashburner? And the simple answer is, nobody was Errol Ashburner. I couldn't find anybody at all serving in the war, never mind uh, who became a casualty, called Errol Ashburner. And what I was using there was the metal index card. I was searching through the metal index cards to see if I could uh, uh, could find anything on him. What was obvious was that the label on the back wasn't done to deceive. I mean, it could have been done deliberately, something on the front with the name of somebody to try and increase the value of it in the auction. But this was just a luggage label on the back, not mentioned in the auctioneer's catalogue. So definitely don't, not done to deceive. So I, I knew that that uh, uh, that there was something not quite right in that description of his of his name. And my instant reaction, which which was almost right, I suppose in a way, was that perhaps Errol Ashburner was his first and uh, a middle name, and that his surname was not on there. So what evidence do we have? Well, the evidence was in the cap. I can see his cap, um, and it is the Worcestershire Regiment, and his collar dogs are also clearly visible. I also could make an assumption that the family was wealthy. Um, it, they had to be wealthy enough to afford to have an oil painting uh, produced of their son uh, or relative. Um, and um, a little bit, a little bit about that, just for, just for added information. 
for families who wanted to commemorate their relatives, there were there was multiple things they could do. And I suppose the, the smallest one was to have a, a postcard, that portrait of him that he had taken when he was in training, have that enlarged and put on the wall. And that would be a black and white photograph. If you could afford it, tint that photograph with a, a, a little bit of colour to add a, a bit of colour to it. Or overpaint it. And I've, I've got all of these examples in my collection. An overpainted photograph. So it's literally been overpainted with with paints. And then finally, um, if you could really afford it, then a, a watercolour or an oil painting of your, of your relative. I could also see an artist's signature on this uh, portrait, Frank S. Ogilvy. Now we have to start thinking about when this would be. This is 1998. Um, I'd only just, I think I'd got a computer then, um, uh, no internet really, or just the early days of the of the internet. So to do the research, it was actually books in my own collection, it was going to libraries, and it was telephoning a network of friends all over the country and, uh, and seeing if we could find uh, anything else about him. CWGC, Commonwealth Wargraves Records, not online until 2014. So... Yeah, it's, uh, it was an interesting time, so if you were doing an awful lot of research, it, it meant a lot of legwork and uh, a lot of uh, uh, rummaging through files, and in this case I could find absolutely nothing uh, about him uh, uh, whatsoever. I exhausted all of the available avenues, um, and you have to say that I then put him on the back burner, he was hung on the wall... And he he became, uh, I suppose, uh, a portrait representing all of those young men, those officers who died in, in the Great War and are effectively missing or unknown. Uh, and we quite like that to a certain extent, and, and so there he was. Five years later, in 2003, with a, a growing... Uh, uh, ways of, uh, of digitised records and things online... I thought I'd have another tra- uh, crack at trying to, to track him down. But unfortunately, again, couldn't find anything. Nobody called Errol. Nobody called Ashburn in the right regiment. And so uh, the only success I had was in identifying the uh, the artist, Frank Stanley Ogilvy, 19, uh, 1858 to 1937. Well-known Victorian uh, artist, uh, uh, specialising in, in portraits of the great and good in the Victorian and Edwardian society. Uh, there are examples of his work in the National uh, Collection. So that's all That's all really I, I discovered about him. In 2004 or thereabouts, it was when I relocated out here to the Somme battlefields of the, uh, of the Western Front in France. Um, and we brought Errol with us. So he came with us and he was hung in a very a, a place of prominence, right above the fireplace, because our house was going to be a, a bed and breakfast. Um, and I was going to start doing a battlefield tour, so we wanted him to be a, a, a conversation piece, really. And I felt it was quite right for him to be here. Um, and again, lots and lots over the years, lots of uh, of battlefield uh, guests and people coming to stay at the house, and he was uh, he was talked about and discussed, and people had ideas, and we did research, and but still uh, unable to uh, to track him down. So, moving on again, two thousand and seven. And I'm actually in this cemetery, so Caterpillar Valley Cemetery, and I'm working for a New Zealand camera crew. Uh, and we, I've been taking them around the battlefields, visiting various uh, locations. And it's a morning very similar to this, but considerably colder. Uh, a lot of frost on the ground. And they were, uh, as uh, cameramen and camera crews do, they were uh, filming over and over again the same sequence. 
And I was trying to get a bit of warmth, and I was standing by the entrance, and there is that famous little box that you get in most of the Commonwealth Wargrave cemeteries, where we have the register of who's buried in the cemetery, and, and also the visitor's book. And I was looking at a grave in front of me, and I just thought, well, I'll just have a quick look, see if, I can, if there's any more information in the register. So I pulled out the register, and I, I opened it up, and uh, as I'm uh, thumbing through the pages, found the right page, looked at it, read the information I want, I'm literally closing the page. And I thought, hang on, I could see the name below it was Errol. I could see the first name, and it was Errol. And I thought, well, that's interesting, and quickly scan reading it. He's uh, he's also an officer, and he's also in the Worcestershire Regiment. So I've got three of the, of the perhaps most important details. And the immediate reaction was, well, I don't understand that, because I've checked there's nobody called Errol, officer or not, serving in the Worcestershire uh, Regiment, as far as I can tell. So the final kind of bit that I needed, really, a confirmation of was, where's the Ashburn a bit uh, come into it? And so, uh, skimming down, reading uh, the last bit, and the last bit is uh, um, a little bit of information from his nearest and dearest, which in this case happens to be his mother, and it says, only son of Mrs. Ashburn of France, of Longfield, East Sheen, London. So there it is. I've uh, I've I've found him. Now you just have to think about that a little bit, because this certainly to say that the hair stood upon the back of my neck would be a, a, an under, a understatement, really. So I found Errol by utter luck, and, and what are the chances of it of being in the right cemetery, opening up uh, the right page of the register of who's in there, and uh, and just seeing his name. I have no idea what the, what the percentage, what the chances are of doing that, but considering there's over 900 cemeteries in, in, in France and in France and Belgium, and God knows how many pages in the registers, it's uh, yeah, it's just, just pre- absolutely extraordinary. In fact, I couldn't stop talking about it, and the the film crew stopped filming, and they were rumming and ahhing whether to film me and just have a chat with me about what had just happened. But it was yeah, so just uh, just uh, extraordinary. So the immediate question I suppose you have to ask is why could I not find him in the medal index cards which were available well, throughout most of that research period? Why could I not find him when his Christian name was uh, Errol? And it's very simple. It had been badly transcribed and so it had been transcribed as Enrol. Enrol. And so uh, if you did a search as the records were computerised and digitised then it was entered under Enrol as a Christian name. So what dawned on me very quickly was that doing traditional research, I could not have found him. I would not have, uh, uh, have found him. I certainly not have found him easily. Um, and so uh, on we go. I can carry out more research, well, which I, I did. Uh, first port of call, just grabbed it off my bookshelves. And I have to say a very, a very good book um, called British Battalions on the Somme by a, a chap called Ray Westlake. And there we get a, a quick, um, brief uh, fact that um, he was fighting just outside the Byzantine Lepertie, um and the attack on Intermediate Trench on the 30th of July, and that's the date of, uh, of Errol's death. Um, and so another thing dawned on me, as I'm going to do now, and this is exactly what I'm doing, I'm standing up uh, and looking a, across towards uh, Byzantine Lepertie. I can actually see it from here. And I uh, um, and I can actually see the battlefield of of where he sadly would lose lose his life. And so that was the first thing that was extraordinary that he's very close or close enough that you can actually view where he fought uh, and lost his life. For those of you that want to come here um, at some stage to Caterpillar Valley Cemetery, it's very easy to locate because on that skyline 
is the very famous um, communications mast uh, that's right in the heart of the Somme. It's on a location known as the Windmill, where the Australians fought at, at Poissier. If you look at the mast, it's black and white. It's uh, red and white. If you look towards that mast, then one of the fields just below it, that is where he, he was fighting, so sitting down again now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that was that was one of the uh, the first things. Um, so what I'm going to do then, of course, is get out the war diary and have a look at the war diary to discover uh, what was going on. Um, and I'm going to read you just a, a little bit. I won't read all of the uh, of the war diary, but just a little bit. Zero hour was set for six ten p um, six ten uh, p.m. So in the evening, the assault would take place in two lines. The first line would creep out on top of the ridge and rush the German line, which is intermediate uh, trench. Immediately the barrage lifted, um, so the, this is when they would rush out, uh, supported by the second line 75 yards behind. Thus the whole battalion would clear, uh, be clear of the trenches before 6.10pm. This was feasible as the German line was on the reverse side of the ridge. Now, this is where we're going to walk. So we'll actually walk this uh, down to the uh, to the actual site of the battle um, a little later in the podcast. The attack, as far as the battalion was concerned, was a complete failure. <laughs> so that's literally in the war diary. That's uh, that's the next line. The King's Own uh, and Warwickshire Regiment captured these are the two battalions that are fighting alongside of them. The German trench on the right. But the latter regiment went too much, uh, too far to the right, thus leaving our right flank exposed because they're attacking side by side here. Uh, each company of the battalion appeared to wait for uh, each other. So this is also telling you that they attacked a bit late. They didn't immediately attack. So there was a pause and this pause will also cause a problem. So right flank open, pause before they attack. The barrage is uh, getting away from them. Um, and here there was obviously a whole load of comments in the war diary or uh, paragraphs in the war diary, they're all deleted, So, and I've tried, you can't read them. So uh, somebody decided not to not to report this in the war diary, it's all been scribbled out. Several Germans were seen leaving the trench during the Mad Minute, so that's when we just bombard just before we attack. The glosses on the left also failed. The battalion tried to consolidate a line just below the ridge, but were continually under direct enfilade machine gun fire that's coming in from their flank and they were badly shelled and at dusk with due to our original lines. Casualties were officers killed. Second Lieutenant E.M. Martin France, so that's uh, that's Errol. Wounded Captain E.F.H. Evans. Other ranks killed, thir- uh, killed 13. Wounded 59. Missing 10, which gives you a total of 82 uh, ranks being taken out of, uh, out of action during that, that battle. So that's quite substantial losses for a, a battalion of 1,000 men. Um, from that I was able to do a little bit more research and I found the times uh, for the August the 10th 1916 Second, Second Lieutenant Errol Martin France Worcestershire Regiment killed on July the 30th was the only son of Mrs J Ashburn of France and stepson of Mr James Ashburn of France of three Stanley Crescent uh, he served for several years in the HAC, so that's another little bit of snippet of information. He'd served in the Honourable Artillery Company, uh, and I found out later that was from 1908 uh, to 1912. So uh, so he had military experience. Um, he left England in 1913 to take up a position in the Chinese Maritime Customs. So there's the connection to the Customs Service, Chinese Customs Service, uh, commented upon on the label on the back of the portrait. 
On the outbreak of the war, he gave up this position, returned to England and at once obtained his commission in the Worcestershire Regiment. A fellow officer writes, he was one of the first over the parapet. Everyone says he did his bit like a man. So, uh, yeah, very, uh, very uh, moving. So, this is where, I suppose, to a certain extent, where the story should should finish, really. I've done all the research. I know what happened to him. I know, uh, I know. obviously, he's buried here. And just, again, think about that. I've got the portrait on the wall less than two kilometres away from uh, from where he's actually buried and another kilometre away from where, uh, sadly, he... Uh, he lost his uh, he lost his life, and then there's another little bit of information that I worked out from all of this. Uh, that slowly all of this is kind of going across my desk, and that's the fact that uh, from his medal index card we can see when he first uh, entered France, and unbelievably he was only in France for 13 days before he was killed. So his experience of the war on active service lasted 13 days from arriving in France and and then being killed. And you would have to say some of that time would be taken up in getting to his battalion. So he wouldn't know anybody or have been known by anybody when he's led, led his men uh, over the top on that, uh, that evening uh, on, the, on the 30th of July, 1960. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So knowing I was going to tell this story, as, as I'm doing at the moment, I, I decided uh, literally last week to have one last crack at, um, at if I could find anything else about him before I, I did the podcast. 
And I thought, let's have a look at his mother, first of all, because I don't know anything about his mother. And his mother obviously was reading between the lines, probably by herself by the time that she wrote the epitaph on his headstone. And the epitaph says, in memory of my darling only boy, always missed by his mother. Well, this just opened the can of worms when I went on to Ancestry, because again, Ancestry hadn't been available to the extent it is, and it's always improving what's on there. Other people do research and add their research uh, uh, to the files on individuals. And so I was able to to add this stunning uh, piece of information. Errol was born on the 6th of May in 1889 in London. Again, uh, you get reading between the lines here, you, you know that these are, are fairly wealthy people. His father was U- Eugene Martin Satcher Chattel. Now, I have no idea if I'm saying that right. And from previous podcasts, if, uh, if you've listened, you'll know that my pronunciation of foreign names is not good. Let's try it again. Satchatel. Um Probably not pronounced. I, I bet you it's pronounced Sach. But anyway, uh, he's of uh, Berlin, uh, from Berlin in Germany. So his father was actually a German living in Berlin. And his mother, Miriam Ada Bibro. Uh, was born in Manchester, but she was also of German parents. And they were married by a rabbi, being of the Jewish uh, Jewish faith. So his parents were, were Jewish Germans, effectively. And so that absolutely floored me, because I just kind of kept looking at him and imagining that he was a prime example of, uh, of, of, of uh, I suppose, uh, somebody from the empire. Uh, well, he is. <laughs> he is. Let's put it, let's put it uh, that way. He, he is. And, uh, but he certainly didn't, um, didn't start with the name France. So both parents seem to have been uh, relatively wealthy, uh, but Eugene seems to have had a checkered career, that's his father, um, being declared bankrupt uh, multiple uh, uh, times. Um, Miriam, uh, his mum, was in fact uh, a vocalist and became well known in upper middle class circles as Minnie Chattel. Uh, I tried looking up to try and find a little bit more information about her, but I can't find anything uh, readily i'm sure there will be some more information about it apart from a photograph i did find a photograph of her a sister ivy was born on the 1st of july in 1892 by 1907 it looks like miriam's marriage to eugene uh, seems to have broken down and she had formed a relationship with james james ashburn of france and this is where we get the france uh, name coming in um in 1908, Errol joined the Honourable Artillery Company, and he's already using the name France uh, at that po- at that point. Errol's father died in 1910 in Berlin, so it looks like they were separated. He'd gone back to Germany, was in in, in Berlin, and in 1912, Errol sailed for Canada using that surname France, and then on to China, where he joined the Chinese Customs Services in Shanghai. And in March 1913, Miriam actually married James Ashburn of France. And that's because uh, his wife was still living. In those days, people just didn't get divorced. His wife was still uh, living until 1913. She died and it left him then open to to marry uh, Miriam. So they they married in 1913. And that's also when Errol then legally changes his name uh, to France. So... um, in, on the 19th of December, 1914, Errol arrived back in the UK from Shanghai, and as we know, the rest, the rest is history, immediately joined uh, his, his, his regiment. Final little bit of snippet of information that I, I discovered was uh, his uh, will. 
and that uh, he left um, the probate was left to his uh, uh, stepfather and it's very obvious that his stepfather and uh, and himself got on very uh, very well reading between the lines you can see that uh, um, uh, they obviously liked each other and um, their address at that time was 3 Stanley Crescent Kensington Park Gardens uh, uh, in Middlesex and he left 532 uh, pounds uh, James Ashburner, his stepfather, died on the 3rd of December in 1923. So that's why we're seeing that most of the, the the information appears to be just coming from his mother because his father was dead, his stepfather was dead, um, and uh, his sister and his mother appear to be the people that were um, adding the information to the register, uh, etc., in, in the cemetery here. So... What we're going to do now is just do a, uh, a gentle walk. It's uh, downhill most of the way um, into uh, into the valley, and we have Thistle Dump Cemetery on our right. We can just see from this cemetery. We can we can see Thistle Dump Cemetery. So I'm just going to head off. I'm not going to walk all uh, all the way and record all the way because it's a little too far. I can't find enough to say for the whole of that journey. So we'll we'll just walk onto the road and walk down the road a little bit, and then I'm going to turn you off for a second, and we'll we'll. Uh, start again as we um, get nearer to uh, some of the things I want to point out. So the first thing to to point out on the right hand side we can see Thistle Dump Cemetery um, High Wood is, is on our right hand side as we're walking down the road so we can see uh, High Wood, uh, a place infamous I think I've discussed High Wood in previous podcasts so we'll do nothing else and just mention that it's estimated that between eight and 10,000 uh, people are still left in the wood. Their remains are left in, in the wood, so it's a, a scene of very heavy fighting. So Thistledump Cemetery was created during that, that period um, when the 47th London Division was actually uh, attacking the wood. Um, it was lost during the German advance in, in 1918 again as the Germans overran this area in their sp- uh, spring offensive. 144 identified casualties, so it's only a small cemetery, uh, and uh, uh, of that, um, how many do we have that are known? Just stopping so I can read my notes. Uh, 196 uh, servicemen of the First World buried or commemorated in the cemetery. 59 of the burials are unidentified, but there are special memorials to four casualties known to be buried amongst them. The cemetery all contains seven German war graves as well. And that gives us a clue. And also there is another clue with the name of it, Dump. Um, and again, I think I've discussed it in previous podcasts. A dump has a kind of connotations that you don't want to think about, really, but it's not that at all. It is uh, about the changeover spot for battalion stretcher bearers bringing uh, their wounded back or men themselves finding their own way back to one of these positions. And it's a changeover. It's where there will be RAMC, Royal Army Medical Corps personnel, who will then take him uh, further back on their, their road to the, the hospital and to the coast. So just passing... It's on our right-hand side in the bottom of the valley. And then we're going to come across uh, a calvary on our right, uh, a cross, a roadside cross. And again, this is associated with the fighting uh, to take Highwood, because Highwood dominates the the crest on our right-hand side. And the calvary here, as we get in front of it and stop in front of it, um, is uh, it's rusty and it's it's very obviously old. It's uh, of uh, of Christ on the, on the cross, and it's uh, it's made out of uh, of steel, so it's uh, iron, I suspect, cast iron. And um, we can see that the thigh of Christ has has a, a shrapnel hole through it, so it's one of 
I've read people saying one of only a few still on the battlefields, but I think there are a lot more than we imagine. Uh, I know, for example, there's one just behind my house uh, uh, that uh, has survived. It's got uh, shrapnel uh, holes through the, through it as well, but it's off the walk, off a major walking path. It's on, just just sitting behind, literally behind my house. Um, so I think there are more about than people imagine. But this one's famous because it was commented upon in lots of uh, battalions' diaries. Certainly, the battalions that assaulted up to towards Highwood because it. Uh, it was a place of shelter, and if you imagine a kind of a, sort of a Christian symbol for men that uh, were were Christians, to 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 look at it and think, you know, I'm about to go into hell when I when I leave the the shelter of this sunken road, and uh, yeah, so it so it had a it was it's mentioned in many many soldiers' diaries. So we're going to uh, carry on walking. I'm just going to uh, turn it off now because um, we're going to walk a little way down the hill into a place called Byzantine uh, Le Petit. Byzantine Le Grand is on our left. Now, interestingly, Byzantine Le Grand is just a farm and Byzantine Le Petit is now a village. So it's actually reversed. The, the big has become a farm and the small has become the village. And we're going to uh, then walk up through the village and I'll... I'll re uh, I'll rejoin you then. So uh, I'm just going to turn it off for, for a few minutes. Okay, so back on again. Here we are, and uh, we're at a, a location that uh, I've known about for a long time, and ever since I've been coming to the Somme, and lots of people drive 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 past it, and it's a, a memorial to uh, the nine brave men. So, so what is that? Well, it's a little a low brick built memorial with an inset that's. Uh, is in, um, I suspect uh, that it's uh, uh, Jurassic uh, limestone, as a lot of the memorials are made out of Jurassic limestone. And upon it, um, it's, uh, let me just, uh, just looking at my notes again. Um, so, what that was the actual wording? Right, let's go across and have a, have a look rather than try and uh, read uh, my notes. T- so, to nine brave men. Uh, and um, it's uh, Royal Engineers, and uh, what they were doing, they were building defensive positions on the 30th, so this is the 29th and 30th, that period when Errol was actually killed, and um, I'm going to read you an excerpt from the Sapper, uh, from the Sapper which is the, the journal of the Royal Engineers, and it's the, the story of, uh, of, of the men that went, uh, went up. So number three and four sections had to go up at dusk through the little village of Byzantine to wire some tactical points gained during the day's fighting. They had two or three men hit on the way up, and then for three or four hours they carried on their work under a hellish storm of high explosives and machine gun fire. The work was considered vitally necessary. Accordingly, Lieutenant Howlett carried on steadfastly with four section and CSM Drymore with three sections till the work was through. Six killed and 19 wounded out of the 40. I added the names of three others who died with great heroism, sticking it in the same way on the previous night, thus making up the tale of the nine brave men. Three days later, 82 Field Company left the area and Captain Butterworth handed over command. However, I had written to each of the next of kin of the nine men, adding that I marked the spot and would go back some day and put up a little stone to their memory. I had a block of granite engraved in the divisional workshops in November 1917. We collected bricks from the ruins nearby, and so constructed our small tribute of affection and respect to the memory of our nine brave uh, comrades. 
So that's the, the story of the building of this little memorial. Now, I've known this little memorial ever since that, uh, I, I, as I said, since I've been coming, and it's been over the years clonked by cars, hit by, uh, by vehicles, it's deteriorated, and it's gone through several periods of being, uh, of being renovated, and now it's in very good, a uh, very good condition. Um, so it's got another little plaque on it. This memorial was refurbished by 82 Squadron Junior Leaders Regiment Royal Engineers, August 8, 1989. Um, in a lot of the uh, the uh, online work I've been doing, it, it that is the final comment. But in fact, it was it, it has been uh, repaired since then. Uh, it was considerably uh, rebuilt in in the period that I've been I've been here as well. So it's uh, still in very good condition. And much, uh, I think, liked by the the villagers themselves. They keep a they keep a check on it, making sure it's all right. It normally has flowers uh, in the in the front, so it's yeah, it's a lovely little memorial. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to uh, so I'm just squatted down uh, close to it at the moment. I'm going to just pick up my notes, and we'll, uh, we'll walk down the a little lane that is leading us back towards High Woods. So it's slightly climbing, so. Up towards Howard, we can see Howard again on the crest. Howard dom- dominates this area. We can see it from all over. We can also see London Cemetery um, up uh, in front of the wood as well. And what we're going to come across in a second on our right-hand side, just set back from the road, and I can see it as we're we're approaching it. And it's uh, another Calvary. So this time it's in wood as opposed to in steel. It, it's uh, a carved Jesus with a a little. Um, piece of timber over the top that protects him so going to a point i'm sure you know what i mean so it's, it's a little bit of timber over the top that, that forms like a little uh, almost a roof over the over the top of the uh, the calvary so i'll stop here and again I'm, i think back a few years to when i first came here this was not in brilliant condition now it is in in fairly good condition having said that I always want to come down here and do a bit of weeding around it and also to clean off the plaque at the, at the bottom, which is actually unreadable at the moment. So it does need a, a little bit of work doing. So what does it say? Well, this is a, a memorial commemorating a Captain H.S.H. Wallace. Now, why I've come here, and this is right on the, the, the lane where Errol attacked from on that evening of the of the 30th of July so it's right on his battlefield on the edge so he would have uh, he would have been here and captain hsh wallace had actually been killed in action a few a uh, few days earlier on the 22nd of July this is the 30th and he's missing and so this oak crucifix on its little cairn was uh, um on this road to High Wood was actually put there by his uh, his mother, and I just find that very very moving. He's from the same battalion, so he's also from the Tenth uh, Worcestershire Regiment. So same battalion, would they have known each other? Well, almost certainly not, because Errol would have arrived and uh, and had just have been settling in. It's in the middle of an awful lot of a of of fighting taking place, and so I suspect that. Uh, um, that uh, Captain Wallace uh, would have really not had chance to uh, have have uh, met him and uh, and got to know him before before both of them uh, were were killed. So he's missing. He's on the memorial at Teepval, uh, commemorating uh, uh, his service. Um, 
uh, and his, uh, his, his loss uh, here. Why is the memorial here? Because this is where he was seen to have, uh, uh, have been buried. Uh, there was a report that, uh, that he had been buried very close to a calvary. Now, that calvary had been destroyed, and so hence his mother... Um, she didn't actually purchase it. She got permission from the uh, Imperial War Graves at the time and the village. She'd asked both whether she could uh, go ahead and, and put it up. There were very few people in the village to ask, and I don't think she even got a response from the Imperial War Graves. They just note that it's there later on. And she had it built. She had this uh, this uh, this carving done um, of, uh, of Christ on the cross and uh, had it placed there on a cairn of stones. Um, it again fell into disrepair uh, after the Second World War, as a lot of these private memorials did. Obviously, nobody was looking after them uh, during that period. There were no battlefield uh, pilgrims coming across here during the German occupation. So an awful lot of these private memorials uh, fell into di- uh, disrepair. Um, and so it, uh, it, it, it deteriorated. Nobody looked after it. And it, it would look like it was on its way out, uh, in fact, the the crucifix had gone, and in 1980, um, inquiries by a, a group called the Western Front Association as to what had happened to it re- just find that it's actually still survives, and uh, that it uh, uh, it would be repaired by a local man, a local carpenter, and he had kept the original. He rep- he, he repaired it. He was a chap called Andre uh, Brunette, a carpenter in the village. And uh, the Western Front Association managed to get some money together and they had it, uh, the wording, which needed renewing again at the bottom, uh, uh, they had it re-coloured uh, in, the letters coloured in and replaced. And so it's 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 back here, thankfully, and it's uh, it's in fairly good condition, but as I say, every time I come down here I always want to bring a, a scrubbing brush and a bit of paint to get it done, so... Um, I say it looked after by the villagers, so hopefully somebody in the village will do it. I'd always feel wary of treading on people's toes, as they say, if you go and start doing things without permission from the local people. Um, but it's here, and it commemorates him, and it's a, a good way to find uh, to finish this this podcast because we're now standing, looking up, literally into the field where Errol uh, lost his life, and in fact, Errol was I haven't mentioned this. Errol was actually buried here in, uh, in the field in a very small cemetery that existed up until the uh, early uh, 1920s when uh, it was closed down and he was concentrated to uh, to where he is uh, now in Caterpillar Valley Cemetery. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, the bit of a long-winded story of a of a portrait that's uh, above my fireplace, but it gives gives me great pleasure, and hopefully the story will uh, will have interest you. What I'm going to do is I'll uh, I'll put on our our Facebook page. I'll um, I'll add a few uh, photographs of the portrait and of Errol's grave and of uh, the memorials that we've uh, talked about in the walk down uh, through Byzantine Liberty. So I'm going to go and enjoy the rest of this uh, beautiful day. And I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to follow us through social media where you can learn more about each episode we've just recorded on Facebook and on Twitter under the the tag Battle Walks. You can find us there and more information about each episode. Also, if you would like to support the podcast, you can now buy us a coffee. This is a great way for fans of the podcast to contribute a small amount, which really helps keep the podcast going and bring you new episodes so if you want to support us go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash battle walks thank you for listening to us and we'll see you next week
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you would like to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Firstly, you can become a member. For a small monthly fee, you can subscribe to the show and listen to every episode ad-free and also receive exclusive episodes directly from Pete and I. So see the link in the show notes to sign up at ACAST Plus and become a member of the show. Also, if you want to make a one-off contribution, you can now buy us a coffee. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash battlewalks and you can make a small contribution there. See you next week.